0: Alright, so I'm going to be talking from the book of Proverbs today about how to use words, and I'm going to be all over the place. If you want to try to keep up in your Bibles, good luck. (laughs) I'll move fast. Excuse me. I don't want to shock anyone here, but the book of Proverbs is made up of words. The whole Bible is made up of words. Um, But let's stick with Proverbs. It's a book where a father is talking to his son, right? You heard it in what we just read. And uh, the father wants his son to get what from these words? What is he hoping for? He wants the son to learn wisdom, right? He wants him to learn the fear of the Lord. And what's, what's, the, what's the end goal? Um, wisdom says at the end of chapter 1, for the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me will live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. And that is about not just life and death in this life, which it is. It's a lot in Proverbs about living and dying in this life, right? Join a gang. You will probably die. That kind of thing. It's also eternal life, eternal death. It is the end game. So all of these words are to one end, which is to save his son's soul. Eternal life, eternal death. And that's that's the focus. Rest of the Bible, same. Same. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe in this message. And you will be saved. Here are some words. These words are the dividing line for every soul. And that's a lot writing on words. And God made the world this way. And he built his church this way. Everything is writing on words. Um... So words have a lot of power. Of course, we know God's words have a lot of power, but sometimes we forget that they're words Um, and that we're made in God's image, and our words have a lot of power, right? Um, I bet you could think of something that someone said to you that changed your life for the better. I bet you could recall something, some counsel that someone gave you, or a rebuke that really shifted the course of your life, and it probably wasn't a speech. Maybe it was a sermon, but a lot of, maybe it was just something your dad said to you, or that Pastor Bailey said to you, or I don't know, but it changed. It changed your life. You could probably think of some words that stuck with you and are still like a little thorn in your heart that someone else said to you, right? Everyone can remember words that caused us bitter pain So, yeah, I could ask you to raise your hands for a show of something negative that someone else said, but I I am going to ask you to raise your hand for this one. Um, Raise your hand if you can think of something that you said to someone else that you really regret, that hurt them. (laughs) Easy, so easy, too easy. Okay, here's another one. Raise your hand if you can think of something you wish you could go back and say. You didn't? You wish so much. (laughs) Yeah, that's easy too, isn't it? There's a lot that we can't unsay, and there's a lot that we can't go back and say. And that's part of the sadness of our lives, but words shape us, and our words shape other people, for better or worse. So you've heard the saying, you're going to eat your words, right? What does that mean? Well, it means you're going to be proved wrong, like, you're going to feel stupid because you said something, it's wrong. You're going to eat those words. So Proverbs talks about eating your words, but in a different sense. In a different sense. It talks about eating the fruit of your words. So Proverbs twelve fourteen, A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words, and the deeds of a man's hands will return to him. Proverbs eighteen twenty to 21. With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit words are powerful death and life in the power of your tongue so every day millions of farmers in Ohio and in Indiana wherever they plant trillions of seeds well when it's planting time they plant trillions of seeds and you get crops you get corn you get soybeans you get whatever you get right um, and those these Teeny, tiny seeds turn into big things, and we rely on these teeny, tiny seeds for everything, for our whole lives, right? Without these little pieces of debris, basically. We would die. We wouldn't have anything to eat. We we tend to forget that they're just, they're so insignificant. Words are seeds. Words are seeds. Words are the little pieces of debris that aren't just debris, that are coming out of our mouths all the time. And we're always planting, 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 sowing, sowing, sowing every day. We sow when we speak to our kids in the morning. We sow when we pray to God. We sow when we say bad things about someone we don't like in our hearts because God hears those words. And those words change us if we're bitter against someone, right? Um, And we're going to sprinkle... Billions, trillions of these little tiny seeds throughout our lives, and we can't stop <laughs> unless we just stop talking. But we're not going to. We're not going to. So we're sprinkling all these seeds, and these little things grow that we plant, and it might take years for us to see the fruit of things that we've planted with our words. It might take years to heal a wound between you and your husband. It might take years of gentle words, or vice versa, husband to wife. It might take years before your kids start to show the fruit of something you're bitter about that you always talk about. But you see it coming up in their lives. Now they're bitter too. That's your words. That's the fruit of your words, right? Words can do that. Um, If you know anything about missionary work, my wife was a missionary in China for a time. Um, People ask her. She was there about eight years. Um, working, with, working with Muslim minorities in China. Uh, you've probably heard of the Uyghurs, because they're in the news, and China's putting them in concentration camps and awful things. She worked with the Hui. They're not as well-known, they're not as cool to look at <laughs> as the Uyghurs, who have their own, like, they have their own fashion, they have their own music, they have their own everything. The Hui just looked like, well, that's a Chinese person, except they're Muslim. Um, so she was there for years and years and years, and she had a team, and they would pray, and they would talk, and they'd evangelize. Did they see any converts from their work? Maybe like one. Years. Well, that, does that mean that their words were ineffective? No, no. Maybe in ten more years, all those words of prayer to God and the words evangelizing, 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 will grow and bear fruit. Words can take a long time, but they're going to have some effect because we live If you want to think of it this way, we're all part of God's farm. His timing is weird. But don't think that you can get away with saying or not saying as you please. Right? God wants you to produce life with your words. So we all have a lot of responsibility. I just want to break down Proverbs' teaching into three three things about words. Three things. Listen, wait, and love. Listen, wait, and love. There's a lot of overlap between those, but let's go. So if you feel any excitement, you're like, yeah, I like to talk. I'm going to use my words. I'm going to produce life. I'm going to learn how to talk because I like to talk. I'm going to say things that help other people. I'm ready. I'm ready to tell bad people to stop it. I'm ready to rebuke my kids. I'm ready to... That's great. But the first thing that you should do is you should just stop. <laughs> because that's not the first rule of using words. The first rule of using words is actually, whoop, zip it. Time to listen. That is the first thing that Proverbs has to say. Back, back to chapter 1, first seven verses. What does it say? The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The point is, here are God's perfect words. You want to get anywhere in life? You want to produce anything good with your tongue? You better listen. The wise will hear and they'll increase in learning, right? The first step is your ears and not your mouth which is hard for a lot of us to remember. It's hard for all of us to remember. Fools fools are the opposite of the wise, right? Fools, do they listen? No. They don't listen. They don't know how to listen. They don't know how to listen. Um, they despise wisdom and instruction. That's what it says. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And what about when they use words? What happens when they use words? Well, a fool, think of a fool as someone who doesn't know how to use his words to produce any good fruit. Will he get a harvest? Yeah. Oh, he'll get a harvest. Everyone gets a harvest of words. And his harvest is going to be pain, trouble, unnecessary fights, unnecessary quarrels. And if we're talking about a fool with any authority in people's lives, or let's say a fool who's a pastor We're talking about the destruction of souls. And that will be his harvest. He'll destroy people. But even your ordinary garden variety fool is going to waste everyone's time. Right? He doesn't have anything helpful for you. And that's why we don't listen to a fool. We listen. We listen. We listen to God. We do learn to listen to each other and to other people. But we don't listen to a fool to learn anything. Proverbs says, don't do that. If you have someone in your life who's a fool who wants to talk to you, don't let those words of his sink in. They're not going to help you. Proverbs fourteen seven. leave the presence of a fool or you will not discern words of knowledge. Proverbs eighteen two. a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Proverbs ten eight. the wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. So the fool just doesn't have anything to give you. He has a lot to say. He has a lot to say but nothing to give you. And other people have words for the fool, maybe to help them, but the fool is not going to listen unless God changes his heart. Her heart, not going to listen. They're only going to blow off the wiser people. Proverbs 15, 31 to 32, he whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof requires understanding. Ah, reproof. Is there any kid here who wants to tell me what reproof is? Just yell it out. If you want to raise your hand, I'll call on you. Maybe I'll call on you by name anyway. I know some of your names. You're not safe. (laughs) Liam, you knew this time was coming. Liam, what's reproof? Do you know what, what reproof is? Yeah, very good. What's that? You did, you did good. you got to keep going, though. It's like discipline with words, right? Like when someone tells you, no, that was bad. <laughs> Stop. Change your direction. No good. That's reproof. Is it fun to be reproved, you kids? Do you like it? You don't? Well, when you're an adult, you like it. You think that's true. Did I make that up? Adults don't like it either. We don't like it either. We get reproved in various ways, and we don't like it. But you know what Proverbs says? If you want wisdom and you want to know how to use your tongue to make life in the world, you're going to have to hear it. Can't run away from it. And we all want to run away from words that hurt us because they tell us, no, that's bad. I've been—I've—I've I've gotten to be reproved a bunch. I remember in pastors' college, when I first moved to Bloomington, one of my sweetest memories was being reproved, very sternly, by Pastor Bailey's father. And it was—it was an—it was, an, was an interview for the pastors' college. They were going to decide whether or not they'd even let me in. And uh, and they started talking to me about my life and my character. And Pastor Bailey said some things that I've never forgotten. And uh, he said, "How much should I tell you? Let's see." He just he told me, <laughs> he told me in brief, that I was a man who liked to run away from conflicts, and I wanted my whole goal in life was to control things so that I did not have to let anyone judge me and reprove me. I didn't want anyone to say, "Hey, you're dumb. You're sinful." what are you doing? My goal was to always look good enough and then to step away fast enough that no one got to do that. And he was right. He was right. That was my goal. It was great. It's one of my favorite memories. Why? Because it helped me so much. And I knew what? I knew that he loved me. He wasn't just trying to get me. He wasn't just trying to be mean to me. He was trying to help me, and he did. There's a lot of reproof in our lives that has helped us, right? So we need to listen and we need to learn to live it. So Proverbs 28, 23 says, He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. And that's true. We love the people who help us by saying no. What is flattery? I need another target. What is, what is flattery? Moses, I know your name. Do you know what flattery is? He's, Yeah. Do you know what flattery is? Do you, does anyone? Let's see. Who? What? what there, oh, yep. Yeah, that's a very good definition. So it's saying something to someone to make them like you. And is it a true something? No, the point of flattery is not to tell the truth. When someone flatters you, they want you to feel good so that you'll like them. And is that helpful to you? No, it's not helpful to you. It's not helpful to you. If you have people in your life who want to flatter you, don't listen to them. Those aren't the kinds of things. You need to listen to people who don't flatter you. People who love you and want to tell you the truth about yourself. That's, that's the idea. Okay. When someone is trained to listen, they become humble. When we are trained to listen, we get more humble. And we always need to keep being trained to listen. But if you think of someone that you trust and someone that you want to listen to in your life, I'm going to guess that they are a good listener themselves. I'm going to guess that when you go to someone for help, you don't go to the kind of person who you start to tell them your problem. And they're like, oh yeah, that reminds me of the time that cousin Susie said this to me and my feelings, let me tell you, I was really, I was angry for days. So what I said to her was, probably it's not that person that you go to for help. Why? Because they're not listening to you. (laughs) They're not even listening to you give your problem, and they're not interested in helping you. (laughs) They just want to vent. So you don't go to that person. Proverbs 29.20 says, You see a man who is hasty in his words. There's more hope for a fool than for him. You don't go to someone who just wants to talk. Going to run you over, start talking as quick as they can. That's not the kind of person you go to to help you and give you the words you need. We don't want to be like that. you, You can't be hasty. If you're going to love people, you can't just say whatever you want. You've got to slow yourself down. You've got to restrain yourself, which, which this is the second point. Wait. So you listen, and then you wait. It's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of not talking in Proverbs. A lot of it. A lot of not using words. Use words carefully. That's the point of wait. Proverbs 15:28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Not only are the righteous not wicked, they're not hasty, they're careful. Here's a few more. Proverbs 13.3 The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 21.23 He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Proverbs 17.27.28 He who restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. Did your sister make you angry today, if you have a sister? Did your brother make you angry today, even before you came to church? They did something. You started to get mad. Ah, you're in the car. He poked me. I trust that this is a better church than that and that your children don't do that to each other. (laughs) At Church of the King, our children... No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Children are the same. (laughs) Children are the same. And you guys make each other mad. And what happens if you say the first thing that comes to your mouth? Probably not good, right? Probably you get in even more trouble with your mom and dad, right? Probably the fight becomes worse. You say the first thing that comes to your mouth. And there's more hurt feelings. Adults also. We can struggle to hold ourselves back. We're just more clever than you are about it. But we do the same things. We do the same things. We get mad. And then we say things. And maybe we just say them in our heart. But God sees those words. It's bad. So, we need to hold ourselves back and think what words are going to please God because I want to please God with my words. And if no words, if you can't think of any words when you're mad that would make your Father in heaven happy, you know what you can do? Nothing. Say nothing. Isn't that great? You don't have to say anything. You shouldn't say anything. Whoop. Um, by the way, and I, there are some teenagers here, aren't there? kids about to be teenagers. So, uh, this applies to you, but it also, it applies to you younger kids, too, and it applies to adults, too. No one needs to know all that you have to say. No one needs to know all that any of you have to say. No one needs to know it. Um, I had had a job in high school cleaning college dorms, you know, vacuuming and scrubbing the bathrooms and all this stuff, and I, I got to work with A fellow from Africa. He was older than me. He was a college student. I thought he was really cool. He was a Christian. He was a really sweet guy. I don't remember what country he was from, but we would work together, and everything that he said, I was like, yeah, that reminds me of this, and I'd have maybe a Bible verse, or yeah, that reminds me of that, and I would have something from my life, and he would say something, and I'd say, yeah, that's like this, because I was learning about a lot of things in high school, and I had a lot to say, and at one point, finally, he said to me very gently, he was very gentle, but he was kind of exasperated, if you know that word, kids. He was a little exasperated, so he said, "You have an answer for everything." <sighs> kind of took the wind out of my sails <laughs> a little. <laughs> I stopped having an answer for everything, and the world was a happier place. <laughs> Amen. So, what else can we say about not talking? Well, Proverbs eighteen thirteen, "He who gives an answer before he hears." It is folly and shame to him. It's bad, bad to give an answer before you've listened to someone else. Gotta hold yourself back. Proverbs eleven, twelve, through thirteen. He who despises his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding keeps silence. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. The more that you're trained to wait before talking the less you're going to share a secret that you should not share, the less you're going to say something about someone else that you should not say, the more you can think, wait a minute, maybe I'm not supposed to tell that thing about my friend. Probably I shouldn't say that right now because that would hurt their feelings if they found out. Or if you're an adult, is that gossip? (laughs) Or am I sharing this because this is a good person to share this with and they'll help me care for them? Or is this just me enjoying someone else's pain? Okay, if you hold yourself back, it's good. So when we talk, we want to say what needs to be said and not what doesn't need to be said. What needs to be said and not what doesn't need to be said, right? Proverbs 15.23, a man has joy in an apt answer and how delightful is a timely word. An apt just means that's just the right time to do it. It's apt. We don't use that word a lot. I don't. Maybe you guys do. Um, It's a joy to know what to say to people at the time that we need to say it. Um, It's a joy to know how to love our neighbor who starts asking a question about church or, like, about God. It's a joy to know what to say to them or how to talk to them, isn't it? It feels bad when you're caught off guard and you're like, I don't know how to talk to you about this or... You seem to clearly want to talk about something about the Lord, but I, your question is like uh, that you just kind of stumble. And that's okay. We all do that. But it's sweeter to know what to say. And it's nice to know how to love other people when they need love. What to say to them. Um, and there's, there's all kinds of situations where if we've listened well and we've waited We're more likely to have something to say. We train ourselves to be good listeners. We're more likely to have an idea of what to say. And that brings us to the last thing, which is love. It's love because the work of using words well is the work of love. It's the work of loving God, loving our Father in heaven with our words, and loving other people. Love them here in your church. Love them in your school. Love your brothers and sisters. Love your parents. Love your children. It's love. Love the people who don't know Jesus. That's the goal. That's what you want from your words. Listen, wait, and love. Use words to love people. How do we, how do, we do that? Well, I'm going to get really complicated here, so follow me. Follow me. Buckle your seatbelts. First, we speak the truth. I know. I'm shocking you. Um, I've studied the Bible for years to be able to tell you that. Um, we speak the truth. That's what we do. And there's a lot in Proverbs about telling the truth instead of telling lies. A lot. Um, Proverbs, Proverbs gives us some situations that to us are like TV courtroom drama. High-pressure situations that it talks about. I, I'm going to read a couple of those because they're important to think about. Proverbs 14.5, a trustworthy witness will not lie, but a false witness others, utters lies. Proverbs 14.25, a truthful witness saves lives but he who utters lies is treacherous. I say it's courtroom drama because what do you think of right away? Well, there's a murder case, and you're a witness on the stand. And if you lie, someone will go to jail who shouldn't go to jail, and the murderer won't get caught. And that's the idea, but but it applies to everything, doesn't it? Telling the truth, not telling the truth, ruins people's lives all the time. Ruins their spiritual lives. Ruins all kinds of things. You don't have to be a witness in a courtroom, like on a TV detective show. You can be in your daily life. And being someone who tells the truth instead of lying makes all the difference to everyone around you. Um, what about sharing the gospel? What about when you don't want to share the truth about Jesus, or I don't, because it's going to make us look bad? Or we feel awkward. Or we don't quite know how to say it, but we know we have to say something, and then we're like, I'll look dumb, because they'll know that I don't know how to say this. I'd rather not tell the truth right now anyway. Maybe there's another time. But you know that God is calling you right there to say something. You're a Christian. I don't know what. Is it to share the gospel? Is it just to say, I'm not going to do that. Because I, I love God. Is it, what is it? It could be any number of things. And you have to tell the truth instead of a lie. Um, Proverbs 24, 24 to 26 says, He who says to the wicked, You are righteous. Peoples will curse him. Nations will abhor him. But to those who rebuke the wicked will be delight. And a good blessing will come upon them. He kisses the lips who gives a right answer. Don't lie. Don't call the wicked good. Sometimes when we're quiet and we have a chance to say something that we ought to say, people around us assume that we are okay. We're okay with another kid telling a lie. We're okay with other kids using bad words. We're okay with, we're okay with our coworkers making jokes about pornography. They just assume that we're okay with it because we didn't say anything. And we have to have some courage. And we have to know how to say something. Something true. Something true. Could be just a little thing, but something true. We're made to speak true things. Because we, we love our Father in heaven who speaks the truth to us. Right? So, Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. Proverbs 24.11-12 through 12, Deliver those who are being taken away to death, and those who are staggering to slaughter oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? This is about, these verses are about the gospel ministry, by which I mean what all of you do. What all of you do as witnesses of Jesus Christ, not just what I do as a preacher, but what you all do. They're about using your words to win souls. That always reminds me that the Proverbs 1130, he who is wise wins souls. It always reminds me. I think, I think that, that it actually says capture souls in the Hebrew. Um, you can check that. Check that in your Bible. But it always reminds me of what? Think of the New Testament. Jesus says, I will teach you how to be fishers of men. Teach you how to be, I'll teach you how to capture souls with the gospel message. That's what this is saying. That's what, this, that's, what, that's what our words are for. They are to bring people to know the living God, to hold them back from slaughter, staggering towards slaughter. So this is urging us to love people and to go out of our way to speak the truth to them about Jesus. God is watching over that, and he wants to know if we care about other people's souls. He wants to know. He wants to see it. He wants to see words. Um... Now, on on the human level of speaking, a lot of the effectiveness of what happens when we use our words, like, oh yeah, I told them about Jesus. I yelled at him for like 15 minutes about how stupid he was (laughs) because of his sin. All right, that's an extreme example. But the only only point of that is that we can be unkind. We can be blunt because we're like, okay, I'm going to share the truth. I'm just going to slap that person as hard as I can. That's not right. That's not right. You ever done that to your brother or sister? That's not right, and I'm telling mom. Well, okay, that may be true. But are you really being loving? <laughs> no? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I, I think I think that being loving is something more. And Proverbs talks about it. Proverbs talks about being gracious. Truth and grace. Truth and grace. Being gracious. Gracious is a word that kind of means a lot of things. It means being kind and generous and gentle and patient. All kinds of things. And when we speak that way, it's more effective. It's more effective. People listen better. People listen better. And it's hard to do. It's hard for me to do. If I'm angry at Mrs. Sulzer about something, do you think that I want to be gentle? I just want to tell her the truth. (laughs) Only the truth and nothing but the truth. (laughs) being gentle takes more work, oh no, and I'm already annoyed, and why should I have to do more work when you're being so annoying, Mrs. Sulcer? (laughs) and I'm, I'm annoying to her too, and she has to fight to be gentle with me, and how she speaks to me as her husband, and it's hard, (laughs) it's hard, what's the difference, here, here's a little, here's a little, Thought exercise for you: What's the difference between being gracious or gentle and being nice? What do you guys think? I would say, I mean, we we could talk about the definitions of words for a while, but I would say that being nice is more about protecting yourself. Being nice is more about making other people like you. Being nice sometimes is a way of not saying what's true, because it wouldn't be nice. And that's not because we care about that person. It's just because we don't want any trouble. And we don't want anyone to be mad at us, so we'll be nice, which means not caring about them. But being gracious is about saying what's true in a way that's gentle, in a way that's kind. So those are different things. What happens to us if we're gracious and if we're gentle? And if we sow our words gently, what happens? Proverbs 15:1 A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15:4 A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Proverbs 16:24 Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 25:15 By forbearance a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue breaks the bone forbearance is when you don't say all the things that you could say, right? That's what we've been talking about. That's waiting. Even the way that we say things, there's a lot of, I will say this, but I won't say that. And I will say this, but I won't say that, even though I could. Forbearance. So the wise man, the wise woman, or boy or girl, is careful. And It sounds like, I mean, I'm just kind of repeating what I've already said, right? Because there's all this overlap. Here we are. Be quiet, hold yourself back. Um, I used to work for a man a lot of you know named Bob Kaplowitz. Passed away last year. And Bob started life with cerebral palsy and he couldn't really use his legs very well, like barely. And as his life went on, the connection between his brain and his muscles, it atrophied. It went away. And so his legs stopped working, and he was always in a wheelchair, which he almost always had been anyway, but then he really, they were really done. And then over time, his arms stopped working. And he used to be able to type things on a keyboard with one finger, one finger. But then he couldn't do that anymore. And we worked for him as his caregivers. We were called Bobites. I'm forgetting who else in here was a Bobite. Paul? You're a Bobite? Yeah. Yeah. There you are. Yeah. And so Bob also used to be able, if he was, if he was annoyed or if he was in a, in a funny mood, which he was, he was a funny guy. He was often in a funny mood. He used to be able to take one arm and kind of reach up and whack us. <laughs> but by the time I got there, I don't think he could do that. I think even that was gone. And all he had was a little bit of control over his head at best. And then over time, he even lost his ability to swallow. So Bob kind of had a hard life, right? Really sweet guy. But life was hard for him. So we would do everything for him. And Bob loved opera. He loved opera. I listened to a lot of opera. I never thought I would listen to opera. But then I worked for Bob, and I listened to a lot of opera. And I came to like some of it and to dislike some of it even more than I had before because I had hours of reasons to dislike it, (laughs) because operas are long. Oh, well, Bob liked all kinds of classical music. He loved it, and he had the benefit of being at Trinity Reformed in Bloomington, where there's lots of great musicians. And sometimes these musicians, they would get together on a Sunday, and when the offering was being passed out, they'd play a little quartet, violin and a bass and whatever else, And sometimes Mrs. Spadey, Mrs. Don Spadey, would sing from the Messiah. And sometimes any number of wonderful things would happen. We had a choir that would sing every couple of weeks. I I hope it's back up to its schedule now after COVID um, has settled down. And so Bob got to hear music that he liked. But the main thing that he heard was not the music that he liked. (laughs) Because Trinity, just like you guys, and just like Church of the King, had a band and basically a rock band. I never once, in all my years of working for, for Mr. Kaplowitz, heard him ask for a rock CD. Never. All kinds of music. Never rock. It was not what he liked to listen to. You can imagine that he got a little tired of it over the years, right? Got a little tired of all that rock music on Sundays. And one day, he said something to someone, and I I forget how irritated he really was. But he said something, and it got back to the pastors, and the pastors were like, hmm, we're going to go meet with Bob and talk to him cuz he's kind of upset or maybe almost upset about all this loud music he has to listen to every Sunday. That's not what he wants. Um and so Pastor Killingsworth who's now the senior pastor there and Pastor Moyer they came over and I was on shift with Bob. So I was sitting there and and Bob he could talk but he was hard to understand. And so you wanted one of us there to interpret <laughs> interpret Bob. What Bob? What Bob? Oh, he said, you know. And so, so they sat down with him, and I've always remembered this. I've always remembered this because it was very, very sweet. Pastor Killingsworth said, you know, Bob, I love classical music. It's what I prefer. I'm a trained violinist. And it's weird that I'm leading a church rock band on Sundays for worship. I love it, but I. I but it, this is what God has given us. This is what God has given us, and then he read from a psalm, and I don't remember which one, but it's the one that ends with, um, that even even. Even the older people of God, they're like trees; they're full of sap and very green. Even the old. No matter how old you get in the church, you have something to give, because God's spirit is expressing new life through you, and you have something to give. And he was like Bob. We need you, because Bob was pretty old. Bob, we need you to be like this. We need your help in worship. We need you to encourage us. You have a lot to give. Now, okay, you kids who were listening to the story, did Pastor Killingsworth rebuke Bob? Did he reprove him? What do you think? Yes? No? No, you don't think so? Does any kid think, yes, he did? No, you don't think so? Okay, tell you a secret. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But he did it in such a sweet way, it didn't even feel like a rebuke. Bob, I don't even know if Bob knew that that was a rebuke. (laughs) Bob was pretty happy after the meeting, and he said to me, I guess I'll try and do what they asked. (laughs) He was in a good mood. That was, it was very sweet. And I've always thought about that because... He told him the truth, right? You have the truth, and you have the grace, and it made it very effective. And it helped poor Mr. Kaplowitz not be so annoyed at the rock music on Sundays. It helped him just to sing and enjoy being at church, and that was great. Now, we're all tempted to not do things that way, (laughs) Because you have to think about it and you have to connect with a person and you have to be sweet and it takes a lot of your energy. But it's good. When we're truthful and gracious together, that is wisdom. That's honoring God with our mouths. Truth and grace. Um, here are two last verses, okay? Proverbs 13, 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. And Proverbs 10, 21, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. So good words, good words, the words of the Bible, God's word, the words of Proverbs, the words of people who love you and train you like your parents, they are food. Good words are food. And you should ask yourself, is anyone getting any food out of what I say? Am I feeding anyone with my words? Am I helping anyone with my words? Am I helping anyone know Jesus better with my words? God will help you do it. If you seek wisdom, God will help you feed people with your words. No matter who you are or how good at talking you are, you can feed people with your words. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for training us and helping us to listen to you through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would teach us all to be good listeners who learn from other people, who wait for the right time to speak, and then who have the faith to speak words of truth and love. We want to honor you. We want to build your kingdom. And we want you to use us to bring sinners to Jesus Christ. We pray that you would. In Jesus' name, amen.